listening to Hope Signals with Mark and Susan Mason, the podcast of Life on the Verge Ministries. Hope Signals is a podcast where we offer practical principles and motivational insights aimed at helping people navigate their hopes and dreams. Yeah, welcome to part four of Speak Easy. I think it's part four. Um, a series that I'm doing about building bridges to people and not burning bridges. Um, I'm gonna at the end of this, I'm gonna give you six principles of how to win friends and influence people. I stole them from Dale Carnegie's breakthrough book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. We all want to win friends and influence people. But we, we want to work for the win-win in life. Stephen Covey talks about that in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. We want to work for the win-win with people, even people that are very different than us. We want to be curious people, not judgmental people. I'll talk about that in, in a minute. But I'm going to give you those six principles at the end, so you got to stick around for that. Um, before I go much further, I do want to say... Uh, we want to work for the win-win in what we do. We want to promote those that, that donate to Life on the Verge that have helped us through the years. Man, we want you to win because we know you have a generous heart. Uh, and whether that generosity is aimed at Life on the Verge or, or some other kingdom-building ministry, um, we want God to bless you because we know that you're going to bless others. And uh, we're, we're not building our kingdom. We're building the kingdom of God together. So if you give to Life on the Verge, wonderful. Um, but if you're building the kingdom of God, we're on the same team. You know what I'm saying? And so we want to give a shout out to Watermark's Camp. Watermark's Camp is a 250-acre camp uh, in view of the Blue Ridge Mountains on the James River. It has swimming, fishing, all sorts of high ropes, low ropes, uh, uh, archery courses. I mean, you name it, man. It's a paintball, even a firearms range. Um, that's for the adults, obviously. But it Watermark's Camp is a facility. It's got a full kitchen. It's got worship uh, area, a huge worship center, and then a smaller, several different meeting places. It's semi-rustic, I guess, in that they're cabins and bunks, uh, and they have air conditioning and heat in them, and, and uh, they have hot, hot showers and everything. Um, so they host small men's groups. I mean, three or four people, 10 people, 20 people. Our church has carried like 90 people there. Uh, all summer long, they host uh, camps for young people, youth groups, that kind of thing. They host college teams. Uh, and this this time of year is when they start hiring people. They've been shut down because of the pandemic, but they're starting to open back up. So if you're in the, I think it's the 11th grade, you can go to watermarkscamp.com and look it out. If, if you know someone, if your son or daughter or you're someone in your church, someone in your world is looking for an awesome summer job, uh, they should go to watermarkscamp.com and check it out. They'll get paid, their lodging and food provided for. Um, so check out all the details at watermarkscamp.com. And just want to give another shout out to Brandon Jones, who wrote a book called The Tiny Terrorist uh, Manual. I think that's the name of it, a, a field guide for uh, people raising small kids. I probably got that title wrong. Hold on a second. I'm going to read it exactly right. If you look this up on Amazon, you will find it. Stand by, stand by. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, my goodness. Wouldn't you figure? There we go. A Tiny Terrorist Survival Guide, a Biblical Field Manual for Parents. Uh, Brandon and his lovely wife have 
have blessed us tremendously this uh, past year or so during the the pandemic, and we just want to give a shout out to them. It's a great book if you're raising uh, children, especially smaller children. Uh, it's a it's a worthy read. You can find it on Amazon. Okay, you notice we don't have any advertisements on this podcast. There's. I think the second time there's been any kind of advertisement. So there you go. Let's get back into what we're talking about. We're talking about speaking easy. We're talking about building bridges, not burning bridges. I said the way that we communicate is with word, deed, and gesture. And so in today's world, we communicate by talking to people, but often we communicate online as well. Uh, We communicate uh, by the expressions that we give people. We communicate by the things that we do or don't do with people. And if we are going to win people to our world, and that's what we need, right? We need to win people to our world, but we want them to win too. And we don't want to be just narrowing our sphere of influence as we age, which is common. Um, We want to expand it. Most importantly, because where we go, the gospel goes. But that's not the only reason. We're we're all trying to uh, succeed in life. And so we need other people to help us. We need to build bridges. And I'm not talking about everybody is a, a close confidant. We, we need a good mechanic. We need a good dentist. We need a good doctor. We need a, if you're, we, maybe you need a good graphic artist. We do. Um, actually, I do the majority of our graphics, but uh, every now and then I hire out. We need, we need people that will help us accomplish our goals, but we want to help them accomplish their goals as well. Therefore, When we approach relationships with other people, we need to be curious people, not judgmental people. Until we get to know people, we don't want to play our whole hand before the game even starts. And that's what happens a lot today, especially on social media. You, you, the people that I see that will post things. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that we can't have a strong point of view about things. But we should be spirit-led in how we project that. We should be meek, which meek is not weak. Jesus was meek, but he was not weak. Meekness is power under control. It's using wisdom, right? It's realizing that in some ways, life is kind of like a big game. And we don't want to like just throw our whole playbook out on the field for the opposing team to see. That's probably not a great example. They're not the opposing team, but you know what I mean. We don't want to play our whole hand before the game even starts. You, let me give you an example. You know, you want a good automotive mechanic. I like to have a mechanic that I know the owner, I know his name, I can walk in and I can call him by his name. I can build a relationship with that person. I said his, it could be a her. Um, normally it's a his and, uh, my mechanic is Roy. Now Roy's just retired and I think his son Jason took over, but I know Jason's name. I don't know anything about Jason's political opinions, his background, uh, and therefore I'm not going to project mine first. I want to be curious. I want to learn. I don't want to want this guy to make judgment. Most people are judgmental and I want to give them the ammunition to make a judgment about me. Uh, too early, and so I want I want a good mechanic so he could com- we could completely disagree on a plethora of topics, but we agree on this. He's trying to run a successful garage, and I'm trying to get good work done on my car. So I want to build that bridge, not burn it. And so suppose that uh, I post something on social media, or I wear a T-shirt, or I do things 
that project too much information too fast. Uh, maybe that's not the greatest example, but you see what I'm saying is we want to speak easy. We want to ease our way into relationships with our communication and not play the whole our whole hand before the game even starts. Our new album is called Speak Easy. And this past week, we came up with a, a tour name, Stirred Not Shaken. Uh, I'll go more into detail with that. Most of you probably will get it. You know, James Bond, well, Speak Easy is the name of an illegal liquor house back in Prohibition. And Stirred Not Shaken is the opposite of the way James Bond likes his martinis, shaken, not stirred. Uh, we are, when we book prisons, which we're about to start again next month, we'll be back on the road for uh, months. Actually, we've already got prisons opening the doors. Thank all of you that send us. We've got a massive budget, but whether we get it or not, we're heading out knowing God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. But we do that intentionally. We promote our events at prisons as, uh, even though they go through the chapel, um, we promote them as a live concert. And we don't give it a huge religious name. We're tr- we are vocational evangelists. We're trying to build bridges to people that don't know Christ yet. We'll edify the church as well. That's part of our calling. But we want to communicate with people uh, the love of Christ. We want to win people um, to the kingdom of God because we want them to win for eternity. You see what I'm saying? Not everybody's called to vocational evangelism, but we're all trying to sell something and I would hope that that's the most important thing all of us as believers have to sell, might not be the best term, but you know what I mean, communicate. Um, so we intentionally kind of downplay the promotional aspect of it. And then when we perform in front of these uh, men and women, we intentionally entertain them first. We try to do our best to rock out, have a good time, and build a bridge to them with music and then be led of the Spirit as we play our hand. Look, not, we did, it's not a bait and switch because we're going to entertain you the whole time. We're going to have a good time, and we're going to play songs you know. We're going to play our original songs, and uh, we will probably get to worship and the really deep stuff by the end of the program as the Spirit leads. Now, we've tried the other way where we jumped right out of the gate talking about Jesus and had people walk out immediately because most people are judgmental not curious. And we want to be curious, not judgmental about people. You know, I was watching a TV show last night, and I won't, I won't tell you the name of it because you might be judgmental instead of curious um, about what I watch on TV. But uh, I stumbled across this program. It's actually on Apple TV. And, uh, and in it, there's the underdog guy. Let's just call him that. The underdog guy and then there's this really snooty rich guy who's significantly older. The under guy, guy is like a redneck American, redneck to the core. He's in a pub in England, in London, and he makes a wager, a really big wager that's part of the plot of the show, with this very wealthy, well-to-do Englishman who obviously knows a great deal about darts. He's an expert. He knows the pub. He knows the dartboard. And... They make this wager over a dart game, and uh, it turns out that the, the the country guy is pretty good at darts, and it gets down to the last two darts that the underdog guy has to throw to win, and he has to hit two of the triple point areas where like the smallest little sliver areas on a dartboard in order to win. 
and he starts giving this little speech, and he says that. He says, you know, I found early on that most people are, are judgmental. I, I determined that I wanted to be curious about people. And, uh, and he throws the first dart, and it lands in the triple-point area. Now, to win the wager, all he has to do is land the second dart in that same little skinny area. And he goes on, a little more dialogue, and it, right before he throws the dart, he goes, you know, if you had been curious about me instead of judgmental, and you would have asked me, do I know anything about darts, I would have said, well, yes. Me and my daddy played every Saturday morning at the such-and-such a club from the time I was 10 till 16. And he throws the dart, and he hits the triple area again, and he wins the game. What a cool principle, though. Be curious about people, not judgmental about people. We don't know their past. You know, when I was a forensic detective, for example, um, I had to go to the emergency room and take pictures of a six-year-old girl that had been beaten with an extension cord by her mother. Now, this little girl, oh my gosh, it breaks my heart to think about it. She was on the gurney, completely nude, peeing all over herself. She's six years old. They rolled her over for me to take pictures of her back. And uh, there were fresh slits in her back, open wounds. But under that was a thick layer of scars where she had been beaten many times. Now, I never forgot that when I became a youth pastor. I realized that that little six-year-old one day is going to be 15 or 16. And if they haven't found... Christ, if they haven't been renewed in their spirit, if they are carrying wounds that I can't see. And they may show up and act out like nobody's business. They may cause me more trouble. They may cuss. They may drink. They may do bad drugs. They may get in trouble with the law. But I've always got to think, be curious. What does that back look like? What have they been through? How have they been wounded? And so it's, it's vital that we don't rush to judgment about people if we're going to build bridges instead of burn them. So hence, we need to speak easy. We need to communicate in word, deed, and gesture easy and not play our whole hand before the game even starts with people. And so uh, let's look at uh, Paul, who was obviously peddling the... Um, Maybe that's not the greatest choice of words, but he was promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, the greatest message ever. He's trying to win people, the win-win, right? He wants them to win, come to know God through Christ, but he wants to win and be successful at the calling God's given him to do to communicate the gospel. If you haven't been keeping up, you may want to go back and listen to the previous parts, but we were looking at, at Paul at Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, where he's in Athens, and he's walking around the marketplace, and he is stirred in his spirit by seeing that the people are given to idols. They're worshiping rocks and, and you know, things made out of metal and wood, and he begins to reason with the people. He doesn't stand on the corner and start screaming how, how bad they're being fooled and they're all a bunch of idiots and they need to follow Jesus. He reasons with people. Because of that, he builds bridges and he gets invited to greater levels of influence. He gets invited to talk to this group of Greek philosophers, these alleged wise men of the day. And he begins to share the gospel. I said it started with he cared about the condition of the people. 
He cared about the condition of the people. That's why he reasoned with them. He wanted to build a bridge to them, not uh, not burn it by, by screaming at them and insulting them. Because of that, he got invited to talk to these philosophers, and he starts out by complimenting their curiosity. He says, I see you're a very religious people. And he quotes some of their own poets. He quotes an inscription from one of their idols. He lets them know that I'm interested in your world and I want to talk to you about something very, very important. Again, he doesn't insult them. He, he, he starts out by complimenting the fact that at least they're curious about supernatural things. And then he goes on, and he, as in the conversation, he starts to connect them to calling, what we're all after. You know, what am I here for? You know, what's the meaning of life? And, uh, and he quotes one of their own poets again. And then he steers the conversation to the gospel message. He says, in him we live in, you know, we, we shouldn't think that God is made out of stone. One of your own poets says that we're his offspring. We're not the offspring of stone. We're not the offspring of wood. We're the offspring of God. In him we live and move and have our being. He determined where we're going to live, you know. He, and he connects them to the sense of purpose. And then he goes on to turn the corner to share the gospel and tell them that they need to repent, that God has set a day that he's going to judge us all. So he gets to the point, but he does it in a very tactful way. And in the end, if you read the last part of it, he doesn't win everybody. We're not going to win everybody. As a matter of fact, it says that some well, it says that some said we want some ridiculed him, some mocked him. Some said we want to hear more about this later, and a few believed. So he won some to the Lord. And that's the results most of us are going to get. We're not going to make a, quote, sale every time we try to make a sale. We're going to get people that shut the door in our face. We're going to get people to go, hmm, let me think about it. And we're going to get people that actually buy into what we're trying to accomplish together. Again, we're trying to, it's the win-win, okay, with people. And I hope I'm, I'm making sense here. Paul is trying to, uh, it might not be the best term, but he's trying to sell the gospel message. He's trying to convince people of the gospel message. In our world, as we go after our vision, whatever that may be, with the underpinnings being, well, I, I want to make a lot of money. I want to have a lot of influence uh, because, yes, I want to meet my needs. I want to bless my family. I want to bless others. But ultimately, I, I really want to be a light in this world for Christ. When people look at my business, when they look at how I do my job, I want them to be curious about me and what I believe, and maybe that'll give me a chance to share the gospel. So <clears throat> that's the underpinnings. But in real life, you know, most of us don't wake up every morning saying, how can I win the world for Jesus? We wake up going, how can I grow my business? How can I do my job better? How can I get that promotion? How can I provide better for my family? All these same principles apply. So let's, let's look at what Dale Carnegie says in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and look at how Paul used, maybe not all these principles, but he used some of these principles um, long before Dale Carnegie wrote about them. He says in one chapter, uh, how to make people like you. Well, that may seem a little uh, narcissist, maybe, but let's face it, we want people to like us. If they don't like you, then the odds of, of accomplishing something together are, are much slimmer. So we want people to like us, to buy into us. 
And, and so he used, this is the first principle. He says, be interested in the other person. That's that curiosity factor. Be interested in that other person from the, from the get-go. You know, I learned something a while back, um, and it, it, I don't know, it's it just lodged in my thinking, and I use it now just about every time I send an email, write a letter. I, I wish I could do it more in communication. Most of us talk too much about ourselves too soon, and uh, we don't show enough interest in the other person. Well, the great titan, financial titan Warren Buffett said that if he gets an email or a letter and it begins with a personal pronoun, he stops reading it. In other words, when I send a letter um, and I immediately go with, I wanted, uh, I, my name is Mark Mason and I wanted to say da 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 da. I begin with me and my need instead of, let's say that I'm emailing a chaplain about coming to their prison. Um, and say, instead of immediately talking about how awesome our ministry is, hi, I'm Mark Mason. I wanted to let you know that personal pronoun, what I'm after. If I begin with, chaplain, first of all, let me just thank you for all that you do for the kingdom of God and for the men in prisons. I know it's been a very tough season for all of you. I want you to know that we've been praying for you. Now, I know I dropped a couple of personal pronouns in there, but the emphasis is on letting them know We've been thinking about you. We we pray for you in the circumstance that you're in. So I, I try to catch myself if I'm beginning a letter or an email with a personal pronoun saying, wait a minute, how can I make this about the other person first? That I'm concerned. Let them know that we are concerned about their need and what the win is for them. The second principle, I have to believe Paul probably used it, but he says use a smile. You know, try to speak with a smile. I'm I know that uh, often I can be way too intense, especially on a platform, uh, even when I'm playing guitar, and I'm trying to consciously go, come on, man, smile more. I don't have to put some stupid grin on my face all the time, but intentionally think, am I smiling? It's amazing. I'll just jump to the, the third principle, which is to remember the names of people and use the name. There's no sweeter sound than, the, than for a person to hear their own name. So I want you, let me, give, let me give you something to try if you don't already do this. Most of the time when you're at a restaurant, the waiter or waitress walks up and they say, hi, my name is Dada and here's our specials and whatever. Um, if they don't, I will ask them their name. What was your name? And I, I try to remember it. And then I refer to them by their name when I'm saying something and I try to smile. Odds are you're going to get better service Again, this is this oh, the win-win. You want a good meal, um, you want good service, and they want a good tip. And so, try that. Try using the name. You know, my my daughter uh, was a waitress. She's working another job now, but her name's Brittany. And I, I imagine if if uh, she, listen, it goes the other way. If if Brittany remembers the name of the person that's come in, you know, if if a waitress thinks this. If that person asks me my name, then I'm going to say, well, well, my name's Brittany. What's your name? And they say their name's Bob, and, and, and I remember that. I remember the next time they come in. The odds of getting a greater tip go way up because you gave them personal attention. You used their name. You were interested in them enough to remember their name. I know that sounds like a silly thing, but trust me, it impacted me hugely when we chose a church 
from which our destiny unfolded way back in 1991. I was walking. I had filled out a visitor card. I'd never even talked to the pastor, but somehow he knew my name. And as I walked out the door, he called me by my name. And this was a church of maybe 800 or 1,000 people. And I was blown away. I'd been part of big churches a good part of my you know, life. And uh, don't think the pastor ever even knew my name. And I was just blown away by that. And I told Susan, I said, you know what? That's impressive. We're coming back. And, uh, and so be interested in the other person. Smile when you talk to people. Try to remember their name. We can remember names if we do it intentionally um, and use that name. And then the next principle he gives is to be a good listener and encourage others to talk about themselves. Now, I don't know if Paul did exactly this, but he was a good listener in that Maybe not with his ears, but I'm sure he did use his ears. But he's quoting from their own prophets. He's quoting from their own poets, rather. Um, he's learning about their world. He's interested in the other people, and he's he's learning about them. You know, I have a, a great friend, uh, and uh, actually, I guess you'd say he's our pastor, but he's been my friend for a long time, Stan Grant. And I go to lunch with him every now and then. And for as long as I've known him, about 30 years, I end up doing 80% of the talking. He is an expert of drawing stuff out of me and getting me to talk. And uh, it, it, it makes people feel important, that you're interested enough to not run your mouth, but rather to learn about them. And what you learn may determine that I, I really don't want to have a connection with this person. I, I really am not interested in necessarily burning the bridge, but I'm, I'm not really interested in building a bridge to this person. Or... It may lead to a bridge that helps you unpack your vision and the things that you are trying to accomplish in life. The fifth thing he says is talk in terms of the other person's interest. These all kind of lock together, don't they? Be interested in the person, but then talk about the things that they are interested in. And maybe it's somebody that you're just meeting. Let's go back to the illustration of an auto mechanic. I walk in the door. I've learned about this person already. I've gone online. I've studied their reviews. They seem to be a reputable garage. I walk in, and uh, or maybe it's the waitress at the table, whatever. Everybody's interested in the weather, you know? So that's just a common interest thing that we can immediately start to talk about to build a bridge to people. Man, I'm glad it's finally stopped raining, aren't you? Huh? That starts the conversation then that person may come back. You can learn a lot by how that person comes back. They may just grunt or they may go, yeah, I tell you, my, it's, it's, it's crazy. My car broke down in this storm the other day. And, I, and that opens up the door for more conversation. See what I'm saying? And for you to learn more about them. Oh, really? What kind of car is it? Oh, I used to own one of those. Yeah, what year is it? And you start to draw stuff. You, you start to learn about this person. And, and uh, it, it, you show interest in them, therefore, they're going to show interest in you. And then the last principle he gives is make the other person feel important and do it sincerely, not vain flattery. Um, those six principles, I'm reminding myself, you know, when I, not just when I'm having a conversation with the waitress, or I'm having a conversation with the auto mechanic that works on my car. But when I am preaching the gospel, when I am writing an email to someone, um, 
showing interest in the other person will call what you'll it'll make it more likely that they'll take an interest in what you're trying to accomplish. Again, this has been all about learning how to speak easy. And uh, that idea of let's be curious, not judgmental about people. Let's not play our whole hand before the game even starts. It may mean eternity for some people. That because you built a bridge to that person, you had the opportunity to live out the gospel and perhaps even lead that person to Christ. Those can be rare for most of us to have those opportunities. That's the ultimate praise God. You can't buy that. But it may be as simple as getting a good meal served to you or getting a good job done on your car, your auto mechanic, right? Or it may mean selling whatever it is that you sell in life, whatever you're trying to um, accomplish, the vision that you're trying to unpack in life. Listen, we want you to win at whatever God's given you to do in life. And that's one of the reasons that we do this podcast. We want you to succeed. The odds are, if you listen to this podcast, you are a person that is interested in building the kingdom of God. You are a generous person that may or may not give to life on the verge, but you are a generous person. And therefore, we want God to bless you and strengthen you and help you accomplish whatever exploits you're putting your hand to. And uh, that's why I do this podcast for that. And also to remind myself of the principles that lead to success. So I encourage you, Be curious about people this week, not judgmental. Speak easy. Don't play your whole hand before the game even starts. Build bridges. Don't burn them. Thank you for listening to Hope Signals. You can learn more about us at lifeontheverge.com. We're a completely donor-funded ministry that carries the good news to prisons around the United States. You can help us by sharing this podcast, by partnering with us with a tax-deductible gift at lifeontheverge.com, or by even talking to your leader or pastor about having us come and minister at your church or your business.